This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson, and we have the privilege to welcome Jeff Johnson to the podcast today. So welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, thanks guys for having me on. Uh, if you would, would you take just a moment to tell us a, a little bit about yourself, uh, perhaps your church, the school, whatever you want to speak to during this time? Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. We're celebrating 20 years of, of our church. We planted, planted a church, Grace Bible Church in Conway, Arkansas, 20 years ago. Uh, four years ago, we started a seminary, Grace Bible Theological Seminary. And for the last year, we've been relocated in our new facility. Uh, here in Conway, so we're pretty excited about what God's doing. We got missionary work in Latin America. We travel back and forth to Latin America several times a year, other than this year with COVID. But uh, yeah, we're uh, working hard here, and also we uh, have a publishing company that we operate called Free Grace Press, and uh, so staying pretty busy. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, today we're glad that we get an opportunity to take a little bit of your time. Uh, we're going to talk about a documentary that you have uh, that's forthcoming to be released, and the title of it is The Church, Pillar and Ground of the Truth. So let's begin this conversation. I'll ask you a, cl- a cluster of questions. Uh, can you tell us about this forthcoming documentary? Who is interviewed in the documentary? Uh, what led you to produce this documentary, and what is your end goal in releasing this film? Yeah, that's great questions. And about two years ago, Media Grate, who produces Bible studies uh, and they produces they produce documentaries, reached out to me because I wrote a book called "The Church Why Bother," and they wanted to do a mini series or study through that book, and I was all in favor of that. But what it led to us going to to Europe to do some teaching on it, and we're just going to integrate historical tidbits into the the lessons. And they decided it'd be a great opportunity to go ahead and, and do a documentary while we're in Europe, which, you know, I agreed to do, but I didn't realize it meant that I had to write a book for the documentary to be based upon. So. I thought to myself, if we're going to produce a documentary, what does it need to be about? What do I want to say? And the book, which the study is based upon, deals with the nature, the purpose, the worship, the authority of the local church. But the documentary couldn't cover all those topics. It needed to, I thought, cover one basic, simple truth. And I wanted to to capture the main truth about the church. What do people need to know about the church? Because it's apparent to me that the church 
has fallen on hard times in our day. I mean, everybody has different opinions of the church, but for the most part, there's the church has lost its way in our day. And so I come to the conclusion through all my studies that the central idea of the church is, is that it is the pillar and ground of truth, that it's the one place in the world that we should expect for the truth to be proclaimed and protected and defended and preached and taught. And churches today, sadly, are getting away from the importance of sound doctrine, the importance of scripture, and it's turned into a social club. It's turned into many, many things, and we're getting off the very foundation in which the church was built. So the documentary is to show how important the Word of God, the truth, is to the very nature and the essence of the church itself, even to the point if there's no truth, there's no church. And um, so that's that's how the church documentary came about. Uh, that's kind of liter- literally kind of the main thrust of the documentary. Um, and so the goal, the main objective and goal of the documentary is to show people and show churches how important the Word of God is to the very well-being and health of the of the local church. One of the questions that you address in the documentary is talking about what is the difference between a church that lives and a church or that dies. So that's the next question. What is the difference between a church that lives and a church that dies? Or to say it another way, what is the difference between a church that stands or a church that falls? Yeah, I, I, th- I think of the old cathedrals in Europe love visiting these old buildings that's been around for a thousand years. In fact, there's a there's a church building in Venice that I think is 1,700 years old that was built. The foundation is still there. That's about 1,700 years old. And it's like you look at this old church building. I think it's the oldest building in Venice, if, I, if my memory is correct. How did that building last for, for such a long, long time? And you look at the building that it took a long time to build that building. And you look at the foundation, it's a strong foundation. And nowadays we have, you know, mobile homes. We have buildings like metal buildings that go up overnight. And people love overnight success. People love to put up a church and grow quickly. And and how do you grow something quickly? You grow it with fun and games. You know, you got buildings made out of hay and stubble and but when the wind blows, it falls apart. You can build a building on sand. It's quick, but it doesn't last. What makes a building last? What makes the church last? The key is the foundation. And the foundation is the Word of God. And if your church doesn't build on the Word of God, it may be erected quickly. And people may be impressed how fast and how tall and how massive it is, how many members this church has. But Two generations later, it may not even exist, and often they don't exist. So the key is, uh, according to Paul, who he considers himself a master builder, that he built on Christ. He built upon the Word of God, and any other foundation is not going to survive uh, very long, and it sure is not going to survive the day of judgment. So the key, the key of this documentary, or the main point of the documentary, is that. The foundation of the church is the Word of God. 
And our job is to build on that word of God and not uh, extend the boundaries or the foundation to tradition or other things that we think would be fun, but exclusively build on the word of God and keep our focus on preaching and teaching and proclaiming and defending the very truth that the church is to be built upon. Uh, this third question is kind of lengthy, so I'll divide it up and ask you the first part of it first, and then I'll come back to the second part of it in just a moment. Um, in the documentary, you mentioned Polycarp's martyrdom and persecution in the second chapter. So we, let's just talk a little bit for a moment about some of the early martyrdoms. Why are the martyrdoms of people like Polycarp, Ignatius of Antioch, and Cyprian of Carthage relevant to the modern church now? Yeah, it's a good question. You want to show that how these these men defended the word of God. They defended the truth to the point of willing to die. It's sad, you know, in our day that we're willing to sell the truth, compromise to get popular opinion, to build a church a little bit quicker, to get people to like us, to you know, tickle people's ears. And here are the early church fathers that stood up for truth and pay the ultimate price for it. And in fact, in our day, it won't be long, maybe, that we may have to suffer real persecution for what we believe, which won't be easy to go through, but it will help separate true churches from those churches that are just playing games. And so I think it's relevant to remind ourselves that throughout church history, that there have been many, many ministers and Christians who have stood up for the word of God, and they died because of their convictions for the gospel, their convictions for the truth and for scriptures. And so we need to see see exemplary exa- examples of men who've gone before us, women who've gone before us, who've, who've paid the price. And then you also, in the same uh, portion of the documentary, give uh, much attention to Irenaeus and his stand against Gnosticism. What do his uh, writings and life teach us in the modern church? Uh, what should we glean from his godly example? Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting character. The thing about Irenaeus is that he was he knew Polycarp who knew the apostle John. And so here's a connection to the apostles. He was an early church father and he ended up being commissioned to go to France or Gaul, what was known as Gaul at the time. And in the early third century, like maybe 20, 2000, the year 2000, 200, excuse me. So he goes to Leon and he's basically a, a church planner to some degree. He becomes the bishop of the Church of Leon, and he's atta- he's addressing the major heresy of his day, which is Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was uh, a heresy that basically said the body was bad, physical things were bad, and they claimed, the Gnostics claimed to have secret truth that was handed down to them through uh, through succeeding generations that could be traced back to the apostles themselves. And they said that, you know, though the apostles didn't write this down, it's, though it's not in scriptures, we know it come from the apostles and it was handed down to us. And Irenaeus says that can't be the case. Uh, Irenaeus says not because we don't trust tradition. Tradition's fine because the apostles Paul himself says, do as I have done. 
And that the in one place he says, you know, the church has no other tradition. So the early church wanted to to believe what they taught in scriptures, but also they wanted to follow the example and the traditions that was handed down to them from the apostles. So tradition was something very important to the early church, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but the Gnostics were claiming to have apostolic tradition on their side. And the way Irenaeus thought that is that that couldn't be the case because we know, for example, uh, the church in Rome, we, we can trace its pastors uh, one generation all the way back to the apostles. And that's the case. The church of Rome was a historical church. It, it was still in existence. It was still going strong. Here it's 200 years, basically 150 years old. Uh, he says if if the apostles were going to leave this secret tradition, this 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 Gnostic tradition to us to follow, they would surely have done it through these major churches, these big churches that they appointed their successors. And, and basically that was a pretty good argument to confront Gnosticism and their, their, their kind of idea that, Hey, we got tradition from the apostles because anybody can say that that was a pretty good argument. But what happened he may have won that battle, but eventually that argument would be used by the Catholic Church to set up a doctrine known as apostolic secession. And um, apostolic secession is basically saying Scripture is our ultimate authority. Tradition is also a, a another authority, but how we can safeguard both Scriptures and, ap and apostolic tradition is through the safeguard of apostolic secession, is that uh, that we know for certain that these pastors and these major churches at let's say Antioch, this church at Rome, um, can trace their their pastoral offices uh, back in an unbroken chain to the apostles. That's that's the safeguard of what is apostolic and what's not apostolic. And so that obviously, as we can we trace out through the documentary led to this doctrine of apostolic secession. And eventually people like Cyprian and others would say, if you don't have apostolic secession, then you're not a part of the true church. That that's one of the major marks of identifying the church from a false church is uh, apostolic secession. And that that's helped basically lead into the, the era of the Catholic church. So that's why we deal with Irenaeus. It's not that he himself was a Catholic, but he kind of introduced something that would bring about the Catholic Church. Which which leads us to a, a good transition to this next question in which we get to the Reformation, or rather the, the response to this development of apostolic succession and all the various doctrines that came about through it. But I'm going to ask a two-part question, much like Austin. I'll do the first part and come back around to the second part after you've answered the first. So what are some important distinguishing marks of the Protestant Reformation that you think Christians should know? Well, main, the main thing is that they came back to the foundation of the church. The, eventually, this apostolic secession and tradition begin to be, if you would, an extension to the foundation of the church. Now, think of building a building. You lay a foundation, and 
the foundation is not only the fortification and the, 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 that holds up the weight of the building. It also does another important thing. It sets the parameters or the boundaries of the building. And the boundaries and the parameters of the church is scripture and scripture alone. You don't build on another foundation or you don't extend the building to scripture plus something else. And so just for your listeners' sake, imagine the foundation being a bunch of red brick. And scriptures are just these nice, neat red bricks that make a nice square. And it's the Old and New Testament. We're to build exclusively within that red square. Now think of tradition being white bricks that kind of kind of like an add-on to the building, as an extension to the building. It's like a lean-to. And then you could put apostolic as yellow bricks. And then that that kind of extends the the boundaries or the parameters. So the building is not just going up, it's going out. And the reformer says, no, we've got to get rid of the yellow bricks. We've got to get rid of the white bricks. We've got to get exclusively back onto the red bricks alone. It's scripture alone and nothing else. And that's the principal uh, achievement of the Reformation because apostolic succession and tradition was... Uh, uh, scripture plus another authority, and and that those other authorities led into ma- major heresies and errors, and so to correct the false teachings, you have to get back to red bricks alone, or you know that original foundation that Christ laid. Um, so in, that's that's the the importance of the Reformation. In the documentary, you point out that Calvin made a distinction between apostolic succession and apostolic confession. Can you flesh that out for our audience, that that distinction that he made? Yeah, you know, in 381, there was the Nicene Creed got expanded. You know, the Nicene Creed was uh, in 325, and by 381, there was like just another uh, church council, and they added to the Nicene Creed this statement that we believe in the, the church. And in, in this idea that we believe in the church, they had what is known as the four marks of the church. You know, it's one, it's holy, it's Catholic, and it's apostolic. Those were historically known as the four marks of the church. The apostles didn't disagree with the four marks of the church. They just had to clarify what they meant by these words. And and the, there's two actually words that they changed— they nuanced. The word Catholic, what does that mean? And the word apostolic, what does that mean? The word Catholic for the Catholic Church meant a visible entity. Think about, you know, any major business like Walmart. There's one Walmart, though it has multiple stores. But here in Arkansas, where we're, where we're located, is the, um, the, the made office, the uh, it's the headquarters are here in Northwest Arkansas. So there's a CEO that is in charge of all the Walmarts globally. And Walmart's a universal business with all these franchise stores everywhere. But there's one thing that unifies it all is there's one CEO. Well, the Catholic church is a one global church. And what unifies it is it's uh, bishops, Principally, it's one single bishop, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. And so when they talk about Catholic Church, they're talking about the Church is a universal entity, but it's a universal physical entity. Where the Reformers said, no, the Church is Catholic, 
little c, not big C, because it's invisible. It's an invisible global thing. And what unifies this invisible church is Christ who's invisible, who's in heaven, not some visible office bearer on earth. So the, the reformers had to nuance what they meant by the word Catholic, and they also had to nuance what they meant by the word apostolic. So, you know, the Catholic Church says we believe in the apostolic church, but what they principally meant was that the church, the Catholic Church, is held together by its bishops, by its succession of bishops that can be traced back to the Apostle Peter himself. And that this visible line of succession of bishops is what unifies the church globally, and it's what makes it a part of the apostolic church. It's one with the apostolic church because of this apostolic succession. And the reformers said, yeah, we believe in the apostolic church, but what makes it linked to the apostles is not this line of bishops that can be traced back to the apostles. It's this line of faith that can be traced back to the apostles. We believe what the apostles believe. We teach what they taught. We're one with them, not because we can trace our bishops back to them, but because we can trace our confession back to them. Well, thank so you for that. Difference. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that distinction. And uh, we would agree that that is uh, a big difference. Um, this next part of the question, I hope we'll give um, a glimpse into the documentary. You say this in the documentary, the reformer's work was passed on to the Puritans. So just before we move on to the next part of the question, what, what do you mean particularly by that? Well, we like to kind of think of the reformers as just like at the 16th century and you know, that first generation of reformers. And maybe we put in the second generation, you know, we've got Knox and Beza and Bollinger, you think of the second generation of reformers, like, okay, maybe that's still within the Reformation era. But the Puritans really, I don't think they saw themselves as that far removed from the reformers because they're still dealing with the same battles that the reformers dealt with. They're still, their major opponent was the Catholic Church. The major errors that they had to address and face was the Catholic Church. The main, they were still being persecuted like the reformers from the Catholic Church. And so they are still in the work and the process of reforming the church. The reformers didn't do everything. They laid the, you know, they laid the, the groundwork, if you would. They started this. In fact, actually, you had the pre-reformers like John Huss and Wycliffe and so forth that actually was starting to do the work before uh, Luther and Calvin and so forth. But the Puritans just continued on what, you know, the reformers started. And so the, they just saw themselves as as seeking to move uh, things a little bit further along. And I, I believe they did that. I mean, imagine Luther and Calvin, they didn't necessarily get to address everything. Uh, Calvin did so more than Luther, but Luther's main battle was the doctrine of justification by faith, and he addressed that. He had to deal a lot with the, the role of state and church. Calvin had to deal with that as, as too. But there were a lot of other little minor battles that had to be fought and the Puritans entered into that battle. And, and I think they carried the baton a little bit further because they had a little more time to deal with these things. And so I'm trying to show this 
unity between the Puritans and the Reformers in the documentary. Yeah, then you also say that the Puritan era produced no greater expositor than John Owen. So why is John Owen so important for this period of time? Oh, I mean, he's the he's the he stands above almost all the other Puritans in in many ways. I mean, it's not like he's necessarily the greatest Puritan, depending upon what measuring stick you use. There's other great men: William Perkins, John Bunyan. You could think of Thomas Watson. There's so many great Puritans, so it's hard to pick out which one's the most important. It's not necessarily my objective to say Owen is the most important Puritan. But when you think about the doctrine of the church, which is what the documentary is on, when it comes to that, there's no Puritan that spent more time developing the ecclesiology than John Owen. He's got two of the volumes of his 16-volume works that are dedicated to to the church. And it's amazing what clarity and that he wrote with. I mean, of course, he was an independent, which I'm a Baptist. I can kind of identify with a lot of his ecclesiology, but I don't know of any other Puritan that spent more time explaining the nature and purpose and of the church than John Owen. And then uh, also a significant portion of the Puritan section gives special attention to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Jimmy, you and I are all Baptists, so I might extend this question initially. It was, what does Spurgeon's ministry mean to church history, but uh, also what does Spurgeon mean to us that are Baptists? Yeah, well, Spurgeon, you know, the documentary we call him a Latter-day Reformer, Again, you know, he's definitely not a Puritan. He's beyond the Puritan age. He was, you know, in the 19th century. But he's kind of one of the names that stands out between the Puritans in our contemporary time. And he he fought a difficult battle trying to keep the church focused upon building on the truth and remaining on the truth and not allowing extra-biblical uh ideas to be a, a influence upon the, the very nature and purpose of the church. So one of the reasons we addressed him was because of the downgrade controversy that he was in during his lifetime, where you had the effects of higher criticism coming out of Germany was impacting the church. And, you know, if it was uh, the theory of evolution or the inspiration of scriptures that he was battling, Spurgeon stood strong. Like, you know, we're talking about Irenaeus, we're talking about Cyprian in the early church, we're talking about the Reformers, we're talking about the Puritans. These men paid the price to defend the truth against heresies and extra-biblical concepts and ideas, and so did Spurgeon. And so we wanted to show that, that, that really that throughout history there's been a, a consistent fight for the truth, and in to lead to the kind of the conclusion of the documentary, we get a fight for the truth. We can't allow the word of God to slip from our generation. And we, we need to be determined to build upon the word of God and stick to the word of God and defend the word of God. If it costs us everything. With that said, um, this idea that we we need to defend the Word of God. In your opinion, what are some of the, the biggest dangers or threats to 
the church right now, um, and and maybe even more particularly the church in the West, because I, I think depending on where you're at, you might answer that question differently, but particularly the church in the West. I think it's always been the same. I mean, f- from the first generation of the church till the reformers, Puritans, Spurgeon, it's still the same. The word of God has always been attacked. I mean, if you had a, there was a, a tower, you wanted to fall it to fall down. You could aim your arrows and your weapons and your missiles to the top of it. That would be fine. That you could knock off a few stories of it. But if you were wise, you'd aim most of your attention, try to bring down the bottom of it. If you can get the foundation to fall, the building's not going to stand. The devil's really about getting the word of God to be compromised or people to disbelieve it or i think it's the lack of you know we we hold to this the inspiration of scriptures but really it's the sufficiency of scriptures that the devil attacks first are the scriptures or are they sufficient is it all we need or do we need scriptures plus science or do we need scriptures plus psychology do we need scriptures plus you know a critical race theory do we need scripture plus some other uh source of authority. And once you begin to build onto the scriptures, if you start going, hey, the white bricks are not sufficient, we need to add on a lean-to, and uh, we need other sources of information to help guide us as a church, then we we begin to destroy the church itself. And so that's the greatest battle, is a denial of the sufficiency of scriptures. Mm. Um, thank you for that, and and I would I would agree that the attack on the sufficiency of Scripture seems to be a common thread in 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 our culture um, right now. Um, this next question is more of just another opinion, or more of an opinion question, or or rather a desire question. What do you hope or think this film will help resolve, expose some of these attacks? Um, against Christ's bride, and I meant to say how. How do you think that this film will help resolve or expose some of these attacks against Christ's bride? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going, what, whatever you do, I mean, if you're a Christian, you're trying to teach the truth. You're hoping that the truth of the, that is presented in the documentary resonates with God's people and helps them, you know, for those who are conservative that already believe in the sufficiency of scriptures and the inspiration of scriptures and the uh, the importance of scriptures, the authority of scriptures, and it comes to the makeup and the purpose of the church, would that would just spur them on to be more convicted of this and help them. But you know, you just want to bring awareness that that this is a battle that we're facing today. And um, so I'm hoping that it it does that. And the second kind of secondary objective is to show Christians how important the church is to their everyday lives. And there's a I love the end of the documentary where there's a there's like a blast of application. There's a blast of like different people like Mark Dever and uh, Steve Lawson and Paul Warsher and Vody Balcom and these these men that are just that love the church and want you know everybody to love the church. They just really do a good job 
and there at the end just kind of uh, painting the picture of how beautiful and important uh, that local church is to our Christian lives. And so I, I hope that it elevates the importance of the local church because there's a line in the early part of the film that is somewhat controversial, but it really captures the whole documentary. And it's something where I say along the lines that it's important that we understand what the church is because the church is, and I don't say this, I don't say the church is where what provides salvation. That's the Catholic church heresy. I say the church is where you find salvation. That's because the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Where am I supposed to find the gospel? Where am I supposed to learn about the word of God? I don't expect to find that at the supermarket. I don't expect to find that at the sports arena. The one place that God has deposited and entrusted the truth of the word of God, the gospel itself, is to the church. It's the pillar and ground of truth. So it's the church's job to show the truth, to preach the truth, so that people may find the gospel, find salvation. And so if the church loses its objective of proclaiming, teaching, preaching the truth, it's it's pretty much ceases to be what God has called it to be. Amen. We have been discussing um, an upcoming documentary, The Church, The Pillar and Ground of Truth. We've been talking with Dr. Jeffrey Johnson about that. So, Dr. Johnson, thanks you, thank you for coming on and discussing this documentary as well as much of the content that's within it. Man, I'm glad, I'm glad to do it. I appreciate you, what you, you, you and Austin are doing. And thanks for having me on. Well, and to our listeners, we just want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.